You're listening to Metal and High Heels, the official podcast from the magazine about metal, lifestyle, and entertainment. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Metal and High Heels podcast. Today, we want to talk about albums that that influenced our taste of music a lot. Plus, we also have an interview with Sabaton that Steffi had yesterday. Today is the 19th of May when we are recording this. Um, and we didn't just do a Sabaton interview. Um, in advance, we asked you, all the fans, um, to give us your questions. And, of course, we asked a lot of these questions. So be prepared for that. Um, I'm not alone today. I am here with... Steffi, hey. And from Quito again, Kiki, hi everyone. <laughs> Hello to Ecuador. <laughs> um, when you listen to this episode, you can also um, find the show notes at metal-and-highheels.com slash podcast. And I think it's episode number 48. Yes, exactly. Yes. Ah, well, Two more episodes um, and we have a little anniversary. Yeah, we also have plans for the day. We're going to go live, I think. Yeah, yes. Our anniversary is actually, is actually right now because we launched the podcast in May 2017. So happy two podcast years. Ah. <laughs> wow. Yay. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay. Yeah. That's amazing. That's I, cool. I didn't realize that. Yes. So congratulations to us. Um, <laughs> we, and of we course, made it. <laughs> <laughs> and since we're talking about music this time again, like in the past episode, um, I also gonna create a Spotify playlist. So you can find us on Spotify with these playlists and you can also listen to the podcast on Spotify or also on every other podcatcher. So if you're listening to this in your browser, you can also download us and carry us around on your smartphone. Where else can people find us, Kiki? On social media. We are everywhere on social media. No, that's not true. <laughs> And, well, not everywhere, <laughs> but on the most important ones. Um, yeah, and talking about, Snapchat. <laughs> talking about social media. <clears throat> I'm so sorry. Um, my voice sounds like this because I was just at Cradle of Filth on Friday. Today's uh, Sunday. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, And yes, it was, um, that's why I was talking about Facebook and Instagram, because on Instagram, of course, I posted pictures and, um, and a little, and a couple of videos in, in the story. And I went live, um, on Instagram, on the Insta stories, a, a couple of days before, like telling everyone that I was going to be at the concert and then, At the venue, I also went live again, telling everyone that we didn't get into the concert because apparently there was some misunderstanding um, between Nuclear Blast and the tour manager and the tour manager that, that had to replace the tour manager that actually had to go back to England. It was a big, big drama. But the gorgeous and amazingly kind Lindsay Schoolcraft managed to get us in and... Uh, We didn't see the Ecuadorian band playing, but we saw Cradle of Filth and obviously Lindsay Schoolcraft, and it was amazing. It was a great, great concert. Um, I'm going to write about that uh, very soon for our website. And also, 
the day after. So yesterday I was able to visit Lindsay at her uh, hotel room and we had a, a great chat. We went live on Facebook this time. And uh, yeah, it was a very cool and relaxed, just catching up, um, talking about her touring and her stuff. And um, yeah, it was like half an hour <laughs> that we chatted. So check that out if you haven't yet. And that's it. That sounds very good. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so um, let's start with the albums. I thought a lot about albums uh, that influenced my taste. So the five albums that I want to talk about now are not my favorite albums of all times. That would be kind of different. I think there's only one album that I would put into both uh, top five lists. Um, but when we talked about how we discovered metal last time, I um, it came to my mind that there are several albums that were very, very important for me um, to influence the the style of music that I was listening to. Because as I said, before I listened to metal, I listened to a lot of rock music and Eurodance. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> not actually the harder stuff. So it got me some albums to um, to listen to again and again until my taste of music developed into that direction. Um, and the first album that was a milestone for me is not actually an album, but it's a greatest hits compilation. Um, and that was from Queen, the greatest hits compilation number two. Because um, I listened to the radio and there there was the song, The Show Must Go On. And The Show Must Go On is one of the best songs of all times, I would say. I loved it so much that I had to listen to it again and again and again. Um, as we also said, when we started listening to harder music, there was the time of downloading music illegally. <clears throat> so um, I had an illegal download of The Show Must Go On. I listened to that several times and then I thought, okay, I should see if I can get more music of this band and so I discovered the um, the best of compilation Greatest Hits 2 and I listened to this album, I don't know, if it would be a cassette it would be damaged now <laughs> you wouldn't be able to hear anything because I listened to that so so many times um, and now that I um, have the, the track list right before me I could also name Under Pressure had a very big influence on me. Um, Innuendo is one of the harder songs, I would say. Um, it's more, it's not a pop song, it is a more complicated song. And the funny thing is that it's from the same album like The Show Must Go On. Both songs have been on the Innuendo album from 1991. I also loved the ballad Who Wants to Live Forever. Um, and Hammer to Fall, and of course Friends Will Be Friends. Those are all very rocky songs. Um, and I think that was also the start for me to listen to more, uh, to the combination of rock and classical stuff. I remember that by the time I also listened to uh, to the to the special concert that the Scorpions had with the Berlin Orchestra, Uh, there also was this combination of, of course, symphonic styles 
and rock rock music. Um, so of course, the next step to the next album that influenced my taste of music a lot is pretty easy, and nobody would wonder if I say it is the Century Child album by Nightwish. Um, I'm referring to another podcast episode that we recorded and that was about Nightwish. I think we refer to this a lot these days. Um, but it was the, <laughs> yeah. the album that was um, their recent album when I discovered them. And so, of course, that was my first Nightwish album and um, it was a completely new world to me. They were not that symphonic at that time, but of course, very melodic. Um, and so with songs like Bless the Child or Ever Dream, Slaying the Dreamer, all these are songs that uh, that are the basis towards heavier music, but with a lot of melodies. Um, I don't think I have to talk about the Nightwish album that much because we already covered that in a whole podcast episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and... I could say that the next album that um, that was important for my taste in music would be a Children of Bodom album, but that's not the case because, yes, Children of Bodom are a bit more brutal, but they are still very, very melodic. They have a keyboard, they have these um, very melodic guitars, and um, since I see the voice as an instrument and not as the most important thing of a band or of a song... Um, I don't differ that much between the, the vocal styles. It's still a voice. It's just um, more distortion, you could say, um, if you have more brutal vocals. So um, the next album that was very important for my taste in music was the Atlantis album by Atrocity. And there is a story behind me discovering Atrocity, um, I already listened to Leaf's Eyes, and Leaf's Eyes are more or less the same band like Atrocity. And um, when Leaf's Eyes released the first album, um, Love Lorn, more or less at the same time Atlantis came out, and I only knew the song Cold Black Days. And that's the only song on the whole album where there are only clean vocals. And I knew this song and thought, okay, It's a very cool song. I love it. You can also watch a video on YouTube for this one. So I'm going to buy the album and um, listen to more songs of the band. But the rest of the album is so different from the Cold Black Days song. Um, it's really brutal death metal, um, very rhythmic. And that's what makes the most difference to Nightwish and also Children of Bodom, because the voice is more a rhythm instrument um, and the music is darker and heavier. So when I listened to Atlantis for the first time, I didn't really like it, to be honest. That came by listening to it again and again because I thought, oh damn, now I have this album and I don't listen to it. I only listen to one song. That's not <laughs> what it should be. <laughs> um, so I put it on several times and so I kind of get to get got used to to the sound also to the voice as um, as only a rhythmic instrument 
Um, and that's how I got used to to heavier stuff. So of all these albums that I'm talking about now, I think that Atlantis is the album that was most important for my taste in music. And wow. the good thing is that there was not so much, um, so many possibilities to listen to music back then because if there would have been Spotify and all these things, I think I would never have listened to this album um, so many times until I got used to the sound. Yes. Yeah, used to the sound is, I think, a very good word because for me it was definitely the same. The beginning of metal was, um, yeah, the softer ones. I, <laughs> I I already told in the last episode of our podcast that yeah, once in the beginning the intro of Winterations Mother Earth was too heavy for me. <laughs> if I yeah, if I just rethink it now, it's just um, yeah, strange. <laughs> Yeah, because you said that I listened to it and I thought there's nothing heavy yes, <laughs> in this intro. Definitely not, <laughs> yes. But once, that was my taste. And I think that's very interesting if I look back that once I thought that might be heavy. Hmm. Mm. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, same for me with with the next album that I want to talk about. Um Or maybe I should talk about two albums that came out at the same time. It was October 2008 when Evocation released Dead Calm Chaos and Gojira released The Way of All Flesh. And both are, again, a bit more... Um, or I would say the music is more technical than Atrocity is. And so it also took me some time to get used to this style of music and when I listen to them today I don't think the music is complicated at all but I still have in mind that it took me some time to to get into Dead Calm Chaos um, and I think that The Way of All Flesh helped me a lot because I um, listened to that in preparation for a Gojira concert that was the first concert I visited for Power Metal DE Uh, so I had to <laughs> to listen to the music to prepare for that one. I also had an interview with the band. Uh, and shortly before that, I had this Dead Calm Chaos album because I read about Evocation and found them very interesting. And the f when I listened to them for the first time, I thought they are very... They focus a lot on the bass. But when I listen to them now, I can really focus on the instrument that I want to listen to. And if I focus on the guitars or on the bass or on the drums, the song sounds completely different. Um, and there are not so many albums that work like this. And I think that was very important for me to to be able to shift between um, the several um, the several phases or the facets that a song can have. And especially on Dead Calm Chaos, there is one song that I would call, uh, or that I would put into the top five of the songs that I like. So if you would put me onto an island I, and I would only be allowed to take five songs with me, it would definitely be Dust from Evocation. Um, and when you know that song, <laughs> um, 
it is typical for the whole album, but of course it's the best of the whole album. So nice. that made me <laughs> that made me more. Uh, how can I say that? Um, I discovered my love for the more complicated metal songs, for the more technical songs, and that also made me see that metal and classical music music have a lot in common because of this. In, a, in an orchestra, maybe the groups of instruments and um, in metal, the different instruments that have a life on their own, I would say. Yeah. And last but not least, um, an album that I was looking for for a very long time because I thought, okay, I now like the this orchestral music, the symphonic metal, and I also like death metal and the more brutal vocals um, so there has to be a band that combines both in a in a very natural way and back then there were not so many bands who were doing this, I think today there are more but for me the Mare Nostrum album by Stormlord was very very important and also one that I was listening to a lot and That, of course, is the one that I would put into my top five metal music, uh, metal albums of all time. I'm pretty sure nobody knows the band. <laughs> That's right. I just asked myself, uh, what? Do I have to know it? Okay. Yeah, I will put them into the playlist. <laughs> okay, that's good. I'll put them into the playlist or at least some of the songs that I think are very important. But they perfectly combine this the orchestral parts and the very brutal metal parts. And as I said, that the Once album by Nightwish has a perfect combination between metal and symphonic parts. It is the same with this Stormlord album, but they they have a part with orchestra and then a metal part. So the it doesn't go together, but it comes... I don't know how to say that... Um, They put it together in a song without meshing it that much. Do you know what I mean? No. Me <laughs> neither. <laughs> <laughs> On the Mare Nostrum album, they have, let's say, 30 minutes of orchestra, uh, 30 seconds of orchestra, and then 30 seconds of metal, and then 30 seconds of orchestra, and so on. Ah. And on the Once album by Nightwish, it is put together yeah. so um, the orchestra is an, uh, another instrument yes fun <laughs> so if you're looking for a symphonic black metal album Mare Nostrum is the thing you're looking for okay we'll check it out I put it in our playlist also <laughs> yeah that's it for me that will my five albums that influenced that changed my your life taste in music <laughs> a lot okay i think you have a very good memory that you remember all that albums <laughs> because i have to say <laughs> i can't remember in detail i would say maybe like um all that power metal symphonic stuff everything which is melodic i would 
call it the softer subgenres of metal. Sometimes, not always, <laughs> but um, yeah, if it's very symphonic, lots of keyboards and so on, um, it's it's an easier access, I think, to the music, to the metal music. And if you if you just try to access into that genre with I don't know, very hard and dark and depressing death or black metal might be hard, but yeah. So, um, but the album. Uh, Camelot, the Black Halo, came in my mind. And that was a very, um, I think I also mentioned it in the last episode, but yeah, that is a very symphonic, um, <laughs> cheesy album, but also very, uh, it's still, I would also today say it's very, very good. It has some progressive elements and it's not that... Hmm. Normally boring, hmm. yeah, average power metal. It still has something special in the sound. That is, I would say, one of albums which, um, yeah, created my my taste in music. And what else? Lots of bands. You don't have to mention five. You can also mention <laughs> only one. Or I two. just talk what <laughs> came in my mind. Okay, <laughs> you're absolutely yeah, sure. <laughs> um, absolute life changing album. Why not? No, that's that's not. I would say, and it's also very hard for me to pick an album because there was an episode where I just found some songs, but I didn't listen to whole albums when I was younger in age that just came the last few years that I looking forward that a specific band releases an album and I say yeah okay great let's look at that artwork that whole artwork and yeah when I was young it was just like um, listening to this song or to that song just picking some pearls out of it and never the Who album. So also Epica, now one of my favorite bands. I was, I don't know, when I, it, I think it was very, very late when I listened the first time in Who album of them. It was just like, I don't know, hmm, Chasing the Dragon came to my mind, comes to my mind. Um, that was one song I listened to, but it was, which album was it? Kiki, your part? <laughs> I think Design Your Design your universe? No, no, the one before. Yes, Chasing the Dragon is way before that. Yeah. But I don't remember the name right now. Oh, well, The Divine Conspiracy. Yes. That's it. Ha. Yes, still a bad heart <laughs> You passed the test. <laughs> <laughs> A running gag <laughs> once again. Um, yeah, and so... The Divine Conspiracy, I listened very, very late to that whole album. So I would say it's it's almost impossible for me to say which album create, created my music taste because they were just songs and never a whole album. Wow. Almost. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you also you already mentioned that in the episode before this one, which is a very interesting episode to listen to. 
So if you didn't listen, uh, didn't have listened, haven't listened to <laughs> that one <laughs> already, you should yes. definitely do it. <laughs> yes. This is a sequel. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> yeah, it was really interesting to get to know you better because of that as well, of how, um, yeah, of how we discovered metal and got into metal. So definitely uh, must listen. My five life-changing albums. Um, I also have to start with uh, the bands or I mentioned on the last episode and the first album that changed my life is obviously Hybrid Theory by Linkin Park. I did listen to that whole album over and over again. And um, yeah, I knew the songs by heart and everything. Shortly after that, um, Evanescence followed with their debut, uh, Fallen. Well, it's not really their debut album, but it's the one that launched them to success and actually kind of kind of the first because Origins, I'm not sure if they actually count that as their debut. Anyway, both really cool albums, but Fallen is how the world got to know them and that's how I got to know them as well. And that obviously opened for me a completely new door of heavy music with female vocals And yeah, so that was also very life-changing. Linkin Park was how I got into heavy music. Evanescence was how I got into female-fronted heavy music. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should do an episode about new metal. Yes. Mm, I do not <laughs> have much to tell about that. To go old, old school. <laughs> <laughs> we totally should. Yeah, and then obviously as well, comes Nightwish. Um, we have talked about this, how I discovered Nightwish. And um, yeah, that's also um, an album, a live album from Wishes to Eternity that I, um, that was a gift from the guitarist of my first band. And that's how, um, that's how I got into female operatic vocals with heavy music. <laughs> And so my tastes kept changing. And I also listened to that um, live DVD or watched the live DVD and listened to the live album a lot and got into Nightwish. Did it influence your stage present? Um, no, I don't know. I was 16. <laughs> <laughs> I was 16 and was very, very shy. So, um, so yes, after that, as you... Uh, as I just said, I was already into operatic female vocals in metal. So I got into my favorite band, Epica. And um, the the album that changed Epica for me was Design Your Universe, as uh, the one Steffi just mentioned before, by mistake. <laughs> mm -hmm. Design Your Universe um, changed Epica's sound completely and for the very, very better. So that also changed my perception of symphonic metal in general. And yeah, it's just a very cool album. It's also very cool that they are celebrating um, the album's anniversary with uh, the tour in Europe later this year. I'm very much looking forward to seeing them in Oberhausen in October. That album is already ages ago and in the 10 years since Design Your Universe was released, I cannot think of any album that changed my life or my taste in music very much. It's been 10 years of symphonic metal. How about Trivium? Yes, and then came Trivium. 
Damn, you know me so well. You know me so well. Spoiler alert. <laughs> the scene in the sentence at Trivium's latest album opened a new door for me. The door to um, many other genres, including... To good music. Oh, <laughs> I have you. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, that's a very good album. It's very good music. And um, yes... Uh, I like that a lot. I also have a special mention that's not very metal, but um, as a music fan and as a singer myself, I loved Ceremonials by Florence and the Machine. That's also a very iconic album that I listened to for a very long time on the loop and um, sung along. And I still love the 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 songs on that album. Those are the darkest Florence and the Machine songs, so um, <laughs> the darkest and rockiest. So um, that's the plus. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, yes. None of us mentioned Sabaton in any way. We are very sorry, all of the Sabaton fans out there who were hoping to hear something about the band <laughs> before exactly. we now jump into the interview. <laughs> hey, maybe we will listen to maybe we will listen to the new Sabaton album, and it will open new doors for us. <laughs> Yeah, that could happen. <laughs> that is possible. Let's see. So I'm very sure you talked about exactly. the album in the interview, Steffi. And for all of you, we say goodbye now. Have fun with our Sabaton interview and hear you next time or also see you next time when we record our anniversary episode. Yes. The next, next time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I have to say a very big sorry for all the listeners or fans who wrote us the questions. I tried to spell your names and I'm pretty sure that I did a very, very bad job on that. Sorry, I hope you find yourself again in the questions because names uh, I couldn't spell. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> But you tried. I That's tried cool. and I think it... Looks, uh, looks not. It sounds very um, awkward. Just awkward. <laughs> also, Joachim just laughed one moment as I tried to spell it out. It was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm bad. Sorry. <laughs> okay, so something more to look forward to within the next 30 minutes. <laughs> exactly. Yes, this stay mood. tuned. Great. Thank you. And um, yeah. I, again, learned a lot about you and your taste yeah. in music. Yeah, it's so nice how we come closer Yay. together through music. <laughs> <laughs> through learning, through telling each other our music histories. <laughs> cool. So, yeah, as I said, have fun. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever you want to follow us. Thank you and bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Hello everyone, this is Steffi from Metal in High Heels and I'm here today with Joachim of Sabaton to interview him about the new album, the upcoming album. Hi! Hello there, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm fine, thank you. How are you doing? Pretty good so far. That's great. So, how does it work with the new album promotion? Uh, it's pretty busy days, but I'm having fun. <laughs> That's good, okay. Um, we thought about that interview that we would ask some fans via Facebook. We um, told them, hey, 
we have an interview with Joachim of Sabaton. Do you have any questions to him? Oh, cool. And, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, the questions I will ask you are not from Metal and High Heels, or some are, but the most are from some fans from oh, cool. yeah, all over the world. And um, yeah, so I will start about some questions or with some questions with some questions about the new album um, and Remco Herwaya, I hope I speak it right, um, ask which song of the new upcoming album will be the most interesting instrumental wise? Do you have instrumental wise? Yes, instrumental. Oh, uh, that's a good question. I never had that one before actually. Uh, that depends on what kind of instrument is your focus. If you're a lot into guitars, For example, I would say it's probably Seven Pillars of Wisdom, The End of the War to End All Wars, Fields of Redone has been played already, that has some action going on, and then uh, I am guessing A Ghost in the Trenches, I guess. Uh, however, if it's uh, yeah, big instrumentations and synthesizers, there's going to be other tracks, of course, to choose from. So... Uh, But I would say the most complex arrangements and where there are most things happening at the same time would be the end of the war to end all wars, the second to last song. Okay, great. So maybe he will check it out if the album is released. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> um, another one by Barbonta Christian. Um, it's a new album, gonna continue on the path Heroes and The Last Stand, path with more melodic elements, or will it be a combination of the old sound and the new sound? Uh, I, you know, I'm probably the worst one to judge those things. I can tell you <laughs> this, though, it's um, sometimes, you know, the obviously the, the topics we end up uh, using or, you know, sharing with you guys that we're singing about are gonna influence the music in a way. And heroes, uh, I mean, a heroic thing is a heroic thing, so there's gonna be something uplifting uh, and happy about it. The same thing, even if a last stand ends in everybody's death, it is a pretty heroic um, decision to make, I would say, to partake in a last stand and you know fight until death or victory. So uh, this one has a darker atmosphere to it. If it Reminds more of the old stuff. I don't know, actually. Uh, I don't. I can't be the judge of that. Uh, I guess Bismarck is a nod back to the old school Sabaton. But some songs, absolutely. I mean, Fields Overdone, for example. Um, a single release is a bit of a hark back to the old stuff. But it was never intentional. We, we just want to capture the, of the stories. It's important for us that the music and the stories we're telling are speaking the same emotional language, if you know what I mean. So, and since this feels to us like a very dark period in uh, human history, uh, this is a darker album musically as well uh, than the last stand. Okay, yeah, that leads us also to some other questions by the fans. And... Um, Scott Hendricks asks, if the success of the album is high enough, would be a sequel album happen? World War II is something Sabaton have covered many times, but would it ever get its own album? 
I mean, in a way, World War II has its own album. We just weren't smart enough to call it World War II because it's uh, Coat of Arms is a collection from of stories from only World War II. And uh, I, I honestly can't say if we will make uh, uh, another themed album on Decently Young and have a lot of albums on. I'm pretty sure that we haven't covered, you know, events for World War II for the last time. I mean, we did that with Bismarck quite recently, anyway. Yeah, right. And um, maybe an inspiration for you, if you will do some more songs about the World War II. Um, Paul Gamma wrote us um, Any interest in making a song about Leo Major, the French-Canadian soldier who captured an entry city alone in the Netherlands during World War II against the army of SS soldiers? It's a true story that is known enough, in my opinion. Okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I gotta be honest with you, I don't know that story. So, uh, I mean, the, the, the guy who asked the question. What was the name of him? Uh, Leo Major. So, Leo, uh, yeah. thank you for bringing this to my attention because this sounds really interesting. Uh, could you please get on our website and say send a, a mail to this link where it says, you know, suggest, yeah, suggest songs for the band because this is something I really want to look into. However, mm -hmm. right now I'm in Ger Germany signing stuff and doing an interview at the same time. So, if I try to remember it, I'm gonna fucking forget, and I don't want to. So, uh, because I, it, it sounds like a fantastic story. I'd like to check in into its history, of course, and uh, the truth of it. But uh, I'm, I'm assuming he's telling the truth, and it's correct. And in that case, I really want to check it out because I don't really care if a battle is famous or if it's known. Uh, for us, that thing, it's, it's do we have music that fits that story for every uh, maybe not, I told you already that you know it feels like we're abandoning uh, a lot of songs all the time for every Sabaton song that you know we've created or written there are two songs that die musically that isn't gonna get done because they are somehow similar and then we have to go with the best one at the same time for every story we tell there 10 stories minimum left behind that we couldn't tell. So for this album, you know, on this album, for example, I would say, if you would have asked me a year ago, I would have been 100% sure that we would cover the Brusilov Offensive or, you know, auto story on the list. But no, we, we make those stories justice uh, musically. And if we can't do it good, we'd rather not do it at all. So, again to the upcoming release. Nina Bus... Oh, oh why? Not that I'm... Bysvetska? Ah. Nina Bysvetska from Poland. Ah, okay, you know her. Great. I know. <laughs> perfect. I know okay, perfect. So, uh, she asked how long actually did you take them to record a new album? Uh, the actual recording it started in November, and then we had a break because we were going to do the Sabaton cruise, and then the uh, what, did, what did we do else? It was War Gaming Fest in Moscow. So we started again after New Year's Eve, and I think by February 
mid or early February. No, early February, everything was recorded. Uh, I think almost 90% was done already in January. But when the final things like choirs takes a bit of time and getting the final details in. So somewhere between late January and early February, everything was recorded. And then a couple of weeks of mixing and mastering and such things, I guess. Okay, so at all one month in the studio you spent? Uh, no, I spent more time there for sure, about two months, I guess, uh, okay. act actively recording, yeah. Okay. And another question from her. Uh, who else from the ex-members, except Harpo, were helping them with a new album? Did they ask Snowy Shaw for some tips? Uh, no, nothing with Snowy Shaw. We don't dare to get close to him. He's crazy. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, we really like him. With Toby, it was such a natural thing, though. Since we, we, you know, always been good friends, him and I. And I was, he lives in Fallen. So when I'm heading into the studio, I call him, dude, how are you doing? He's like, hey, yeah, I'm good. How's everything with you? When like, I asked him basically, should we just drink some beer and write some metal? He said, fuck yeah. And that became Fields Overdone. Okay. Um, Christine Müller, con what? Contreras? Ask why did they make the decision? <laughs> yeah, names are not my strength. Um, why did they make to, the decision to switch producers? What were the differences between working with the two of the producers, both in the differences in sound and the finished product, and during the actual recording process? Uh, well, there are obviously different approaches to it. We're, you know, Jonas has been doing. Uh, quite a lot of live stuff for us before a lot of live albums uh, we recorded twilight of the thunder god with him uh, lots of extra materials covers also we did our version uh, of kingdom come uh, by manowar so uh, over the years he's been there and he was always mastering our old albums so he knows you know his stuff or his ways around the sabaton uh, sound if you know what i mean so uh, When coming to this album, we decided to go with Jonas instead because we wanted to try him out. He's never done a whole album with us. And uh, I think it turned out good. I mean, every producer has his own snappy producer. He works on instinct more than Peter does, uh, which is has both advantages and disadvantages, I guess. So... I couldn't tell you if Jonas or Peter is better, but there there are differences which people are going to hear. And uh, I guess how the finished product would have turned out with Peter, I couldn't tell you because we didn't do this album with him. And this this one is a bit darker darker in the atmosphere. So uh, it's it's hard to guess, actually. Yeah, okay. And some... Yeah, funny questions, I would say. Um, do you know the Sabaton memes? Oh, yes. Okay, <laughs> I didn't know anything about it, but to be honest, I'm not that uh, diehard fan. Uh, yeah, so Rasmus, Isaacson, Achlet, and okay, you know it. Yeah, and... I, I'm, I'm uh, commenting on the community sometimes uh, because I like, 
I like it when people make fun of us. I mean, we take our music <laughs> and, and the stories we tell very serious, uh, but we don't take ourselves very serious. So that's fine. Okay, that sounds great. And uh, I wrote lots of questions about your knee. What what happened there? I nothing don't know the story. To my knee. This, <laughs> is, this is just the community getting fucking overexcited over nothing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, good my to knee, know. My knee is fine. My knee will survive anything. <laughs> Even if there was a nuclear holocaust, my knee would survive. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> to make that clear. Good. So just a joke. Yes. Okay. Um, Alan Sepsik asked, um, also, I, I have no idea if you know that, but do you know how, uh, which kind of brand your guitarist Tommy uses for hair conditioner? <laughs> do I look like a guy who has any idea about hair conditioners? No, I don't. Sorry, I, I, I'm gonna pass on that question because I, I couldn't even begin to guess. And it's not like, I, of course, I've seen him walk around with conditioners and shampoos, but you know, it's not in the least in my interest sphere. You know what what he puts on his, you know, in his hair. Yeah, but he has very beautiful hair. Yeah. I can tell you who manufactures his dildos, though, because that I know. Okay. Some more other questions were about your live gigs. Do you have any tour plans so far? Yes, lots of tour plans. I mean, we already announced uh, North America, so USA and Canada, and we also announced Russia. Uh, there is plans for a European tour, and they will be revealed during the summer, I would say. Okay, great. And Jamie Hart already asked if do you know which songs you will play live after the new album uh we know a few uh because they are you know we, we gotta start somewhere <laughs> basically so it's gonna be uh obviously the singles in the beginning of the summer but then as the album is released we're gonna we we're prepared to play any song actually uh on the album it's just we want to know what the fans think because We can guess, and uh, we will we, be usually right in some cases, but there's always, you know, one song we think the fans are really gonna like that they don't. And there is gonna be one or two that we didn't think would be a fan favorite, but really turns out to be one of those. So uh, I guess we're gonna await the reaction of the fans uh, from what they think of the album, which songs to do, and then start basing our live sets or those songs of, you know, Uh, which songs we put on the live set from that, I guess. Okay. And what, uh, how do you think that the fans may like a song or another maybe not? Do you have some, um, yeah, checkpoints <laughs> you no, think about? I have, I have a gut feeling, though, that I can trust sometimes. Let's, uh, without being cocky, when, uh, when I'd written Prima Victoria, I knew I had something pretty damn good. And so, so was the case with To Hell and Back. Uh, I didn't think much of Swedish Pagans, but that turned out to be a very big fa fan favorite live. So uh, it's, uh, it's usually easier to guess. I mean, no, it's not easy at all, but I'm more often correct when I think this is probably going to be a fan favorite. In that case, I am more often Uh, right than wrong, but I'd make mistakes, of course. Uh, however, when it comes to 
the thing, the songs that I don't think is going to be a fan favorite, I am more often wrong than right. Uh, some of our more unusual songs, for example, uh, when I wrote uh, uh, the final solution, I thought it's this is not going to be a fan favorite, but it's very much needed on the album, and I really loved it. So I thought, yeah. It's going to make the album stronger, but this is not going to be a fan favorite at all, which happily enough, it turns out I'm totally wrong in that case. Okay, and are there any cries or guest vocalists or musicians live on stage? Uh, during well, the tour? We, we have already did uh, done one show with uh, a choir in Tilsen in Czech Republic and uh, Without promising anything anywhere or anyhow, I can tell you that there are more plans to do shows with choirs because I really, really loved it. Okay, great. And do you maybe have some wishes, some favorite musicians you would like to play or to work in the future? Yeah, but most of them are dead. Oh, <laughs> okay. That could be hard. <laughs> Will you tell us which ones? Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, Freddie Mercury instead of me on vocals would be better. Uh, I would say Ronnie James Dio on vocals would be nice as well. Uh, Cozy Powell on the drums as a guest drummer, but yeah, all dead heroes, you know. I mean, there are a few alive as well. I mean, obviously Richie Blackmore. I love him as a both a songwriter and a guitar player. And uh, uh, in a way, the boys from Iron Maiden, I guess all of them because they are doing such amazing shows and albums still. Okay, yeah. Sadly, they are gone already. Some, most of them. Yeah. Um, so, another question about the collaborations. Uh, what does that name, Cat Moon Dance, ask? I'm curious how they came up with the idea to collaborate with Apocalyptica and they covered the song before Sabaton's release. Uh, better question for Pat, our bass player, but I know a bit of the story anyway. We are, we're having Apocalyptica, uh, really nice guys, playing our festival, Sabaton Open Air. And we like each other, so we thought we should do something fun together. And uh, what better way than to tease our fans a bit? <laughs> to release the cover before the song, uh, just for fun. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm of the firm opinion that if you a band makes a cover, it doesn't have to mean it's a 30-year-old song. I actually like it when you know you get to hear two different visions of the same music um, quite close to each other. Because here's the thing: with the cover or whatever it is, if a song, if you hear one version of a song. And you grew up with that version. Ten years later, you hear another version. It doesn't matter which one is the original or the cover. The one you heard first is going to be the one you like 90% of the times. So, in that way, I think it's really interesting when uh, there are covers coming out pretty fast or almost at the same time. So we thought of it as a bit of a surprise for the fans, a little bit of an experiment, and yeah, some fun, basically. Okay. We should, ne we should never ask why. We should ask why not. <laughs> okay, good way. So it's more like an alternative version, but a cover version, I would say. <laughs> How yeah. you describe it. Okay. 
So, some maybe more serious questions from our Metal and High Heels magazine podcast. Yeah. Do you think there would be less war if more women would be in government? Yes and no. Depends on the women. <laughs> yeah, historically, hist historically speaking, you know, uh, women have proven themselves to be quite as capable of cruelty as men. Uh, I'm not so sure we'd have uh, a higher percentage or a lower percentage. I'm guessing lower, though. About what? Which woman do you think? If you say they could be as cruel as men? Well, Cleopatra comes to mind. Hmm. Other world leaders who have proven themselves uh, to be quite capable of brutality. But then if we're going into, you know, modern times, we're moving into politics. And we have chosen to not comment on politics because we are controversial enough as it is. And I, we also firmly believe that there is enough musicians, actors and other people telling people what to think, what to vote, what to eat, what to drive. So we thought, how about we be the first band who doesn't tell people what to do? Okay, so you just see yourself as a teacher and not as a moral apostle. No, 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 no. I mean, it's up to it's up to everyone else to come to their own conclusions on basically everything in life. I don't want to push our opinions are irrelevant. We want to be the storytellers, not the not the speakers of truth. Okay, so uh, we had another question, but I think you already said that you won't answer that. <laughs> but I still ask you, maybe you have an sure. opinion. Uh, yeah, just very... Um, I forgot the word. Um, doesn't matter. Uh, what do you think about the situation of the world today? Because of there are lots of conflicts and war. If you thought about the historical way... I think you are somehow now, yeah, profs yeah. about the historical arts or ways of war and conflict. And I would, tell, I would tell people not to worry and fuss so much about it because uh, things are getting better. People are forgetting. It's just that it's, you know, let's just say then it's uh, somebody who is in the middle of their life. So somewhere between 45 and 50. They've been aware of how the world works and aware of... Uh, world events for 25 years and maybe this is the most worrying time in their lifetime but that is 25 years then maybe if you're 45 so in terms of history that's a fucking piss in the mississippi river <laughs> and uh, uh, it's in that case i'm i'm not that worried at all it's uh, i don't see anything new under the sun and uh, sure there might be a war uh, someday, or there will be a war someday, somehow. Uh, we can't live our life in fear of it, though. All we need to do is uh, learn from history and try and make sure that shit doesn't happen again. But if you say there will be war, so I think we didn't learn from history. If yeah, you... you're absolutely right. We can only so... learn one thing from history, and that is mankind cannot learn from history. That doesn't <laughs> mean we should stop trying. Okay, that's something between very sad and very relaxed opinion. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty pretty much the truth, yeah. Okay. Well, back to the album. Uh, for The Great War, you will release two versions. A normal one Three. and... Uh, and what? Three versions. Three versions. Oh, okay. Yes, the, the standard edition with uh, 
straight on heavy metal, uh, which has no historical narration or you know introductions in between. Then we have the history edition, which is uh, sort of like our old school nod to our old album, The Art of War, where we have historical the historical context explained before each song. So it's like a yeah, I don't know how to explain it. Uh, really, but uh, I think most people who have heard us will get the idea. And then the third one is the soundtrack to the Great War. And that is what it sounds like. It's not an instrumental thing. It is instrumental, but it's not like we muted everything or muted the vocals and, and play the metal. This is a, a total reorchestration with hybrid elements. So think of it as movie trailer music, but the songs from the Great War. Okay. Whoa, sounds great. And how does it came that you release now three versions of that album? Also, because um, the hysterical it one. It lend itself to it. It it, it lend itself to it. I mean, it's very musically. It's it's absolutely possible. We we thought let's try it, and it worked out great. So hopefully, we can do it again in the future. Okay. Good. However, uh, I'm sad to say that our time is up. There yeah. We have my my label representative knocking me on the shoulder here, saying I need to call the next victim <laughs> yeah, for yeah. interview. That's perfect because that was also my last question. So oh, nice. I'm fine. Yeah, good in time. Okay, so thank you very much for having you for the interview. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, and yeah, much luck and success for your upcoming release. Thank you very much. Take care and talk to you another time. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.